The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Uh, Greetings of the day, everyone. My name is Steve Eschbach. I am the host of Building Better Businesses, and I welcome you again to another edition of our podcast. I am the owner of Transworld Business advisors of Naperville, Illinois. Naperville is 40 miles west of Chicago. Uh, We are the largest business brokerage and we're also the fastest growing business brokerage in the world. And we predominantly assist business owners confidentially sell and match them with qualified buyers. More recently, I'm having companies call me on the buy side to ask me how they can expand through strategic and synergistic acquisitions. So there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions out there. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. Basically, it's called Building Better Businesses. We're going to get some tips on uh, how we can do that. I'm delighted to have Laura Trions, who is a an executive coach who specializes in behavioral understanding to enhance company culture, maximize talent, and boost employee engagement. Those are very powerful words. And I'm going to probably put you to the test here, Laura, right off the bat. Tell I me a little it. bit about your company, LMT, which has nothing to do with what I thought it meant earlier on, <laughs> and how, how you're able to assist your clients. So let's start with that. Well, so LMT Consulting is my own coaching and consulting company. We work with individuals and teams and entire companies to help them better understand behavior to enhance culture, profit, and really just overall happiness within the organization. I'm really blessed to work with a number of different industries and help people really get past those mindset blocks. So that's a little bit about the company. Yeah. And I, there's a ton of stuff on your website and you'll be able to tell our audience where they can go to get more of that. But interesting in your, in your uh, website material, you talk a little bit about work-life balance, which is critical mm-hmm. to, I believe, building great culture within a company. You want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to. You know, this is a topic. It's interesting because people say, oh, you know, it's outdated. Everybody's talked about it. But I don't think we're talking about it properly. When we look at work-life balance, it's as if we expect it to be like 50-50 or 25-25-25-25. I mean, that doesn't happen. What we really need to focus on is the counterbalance, right? And the only way to understand the counterbalance is to get really clear on our priorities. And so when I'm working with people and we're talking about balance, I'm really asking them, what is the life experience that you want right now. And based on that, we begin to outline what are your priorities. And then from your priorities, you can then look at time, you can look at energy management over time management. I think that's another key to this idea of balance is really looking at what are the things that cause you to use the most energy? What are the things that fill you up? And then how do you use that to help you stay in this sense of counterbalance? So I'm going to guess, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'll, you'll find I'll do a lot of this. So paraphrasing is that success at home is going to lead to success in the business and vice versa. Because if you're able to find the time and attention you need for home, 
and you're able to do the time and attention you need to do the business, if you're able to get that balance, I think both succeed. Am I right? 100%. And here's the interesting thing. People often come to me and they say, you know, are you a business coach? Are you a life coach? And I say, 100% of people come to me to make more money. 100% of people talk to me about their personal life. We aren't separate people. We do need to look at incorporating them. And so again, that idea of what is the experience that I want? And then how do I create that in my world right now? So here's a funny story. My daughter, who lives up in Minnesota, she has one child expecting a second in about two or three months, and she has a whiteboard on a refrigerator. And I said, you know what? I don't have a whiteboard in my home office because I moved everything to home. I have a physical address that I use on occasion, but now I've got a whiteboard and a cockboard over there. And I learned that from my daughter, which is my family part influencing my business part. But in any event. Yep. Um, so we're going to take a trip down memory lane. And what I mean by that is I'd like to learn a little bit more about your childhood. So tell me a little bit about your formative years. What were your interests when you were a young child? Let's say you were pedaling your bike on the sidewalk where you grew up. And then tell me a little bit about your parental influence and maybe other family influence on you, your upbringing. And did you, if you have any other stops before you got to LMT Consulting, I'd like to learn a bit, a little bit about that. It's fairly open, but how much has your childhood affected you and where you are today? Oh, so, you know, my childhood is, I am a direct influence of how I grew up. I was really blessed to grow up in a family business. My grandfather started lots of businesses and um, one was a miniature golf driving range baseball cages on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And so every summer we would go to Cape Cod and everyone said, oh, you are so lucky. You get to go to the Cape every summer. I said, well, wait a second. My Cape Cod experience is a little bit different than most people's Cape Cod experience. So the business opened at 7 a.m. We closed at 11 p.m. As soon as you're old enough to walk, you're picking papers, you are helping picking golf balls. I mean, you name it, you are put to work. And so um, for me, when I was a kid, I remember missing my friends because we didn't live on the Cape. We would move there for the summer. And I remember missing my friends. But I also even at a young age, recognized the gift of working in a business. And I was one of, obviously, when I started, I was one of the only females, given that it was a mini golf, driving range, baseball cages, we attracted more young men employees than we did young female employees. And I was given an opportunity to manage at 13 years old, you know, and my mother saying, go over and do change a shift. You know, I was helping to close the business at the end of the night. I remember I was in fifth grade and um, I wasn't really great at math, but when we got to the money section of math, my, my teacher was said to my mom, like, how does she know, like, how to make change? And I mean, this is given the rest of my math, lack of math skills. This was something that he pointed out. And it was because of this business. And so the confidence I gained there really influenced everything I did from college on. So your parents and your family gave you a lot of encouragement, but I'm going to guess they gave you some opportunity to kind of do things as you saw best. Now, your experience is a little bit different than mine. I had a lemonade stand in front of my house and I had a paper out on Long Island. That's a little bit different than what you're saying there, but it seems like you had the opportunity to get exposed to it. I didn't hear the words, mom told me this, dad told me this. You pretty much figured it out on your own. Am I right about that? Well, so I, I was given a lot of leeway and, you know, there's one point in time that I tend to point out. Okay, this was really, I think, a, a big boost for me. I 
where my mom had such huge influence is I worked with my brother was 16. I was who my brother was 15. I was 13. My other brother was 12. So, you know, we kind of help around. My mom's really managing the business and you weren't allowed to drink alcohol on the property. Well, you're dealing with a bunch of teenage boys. So of course they're trying to sneak in alcohol. So I made this sign that said no alcohol. And I put it up um, behind the, the register where we worked and I was helping to enforce the rules. And apparently I spelled alcohol wrong. So I went over for change of shift. My brother and his friends are making fun of me and I was not going to let them see me cry. So I, I went home and we lived on the property. So I go home and um, I get to the house and I, I start crying to my mom and I'm like, this is so hard. I don't have any friends here. And I said, they don't like me. And she, she said, this was so powerful. She said to me, they don't have to like you. They have to do what you say because you're their manager. I want you to turn yourself around, go back over there. And I want you to do change of shift. And in that moment, I remember, I literally stopped crying and I'm like, what? And she goes, they don't have to like you. They just have to listen to you because you're their manager. To have that said you at 13 years old, I was like, oh, okay. A huge, huge shift for me and my ability to manage other people who were older than me and my ability to manage their criticism. I mean, it was the greatest gift I could have ever been given. Now, you didn't say these specific words, but I'm going to say that you literally were knocked down and you were going to stay there until your mom came up and said, you know what, let's dust you off, stand you back up, go back in there go face the battle. And that's probably a great learning experience for you back then. It, it was huge. You know, behaviorally, I'm not someone who stays there, but at that age, I didn't know how to respond. Would I have responded with such strength if she didn't encourage me? No way. There, I just wasn't developmentally at that, at that place. But to have, you know, my mom look at me and say, uh-uh, get back over there, you know, do the job to listen to you. I, I, again, the greatest gift I could ever have. So that happened to you when you were 13. I will tell you that 50 years later, you're at my age. And I'm telling you, I still do not hesitate to ask even my kids, how do you recommend doing this to better improve what we do? So a couple of good points. Number one, you have to have a strong interest and you have to ask for advice when needed. I think that's what you did, right? 100%. And, you know, to your point, I have a 17 year old and a 15 year old, and I'm telling you, they have such amazing insights and they're so honest. They're the people that I go to with questions as well. They're going to give me the honest truth. And sometimes it hurts, but it's always appreciated. Uh, absolutely. It doesn't matter what age your kids are. You, you can get good advice from them. And in doing that, they then look to you for advice as well. So 100%. So let's go back a little bit again in your formative years. So you're in your mid-teens. You're working at a miniature golf course. By the way, we got to talk more about that because I went to Cape Cod on vacation as well. And I'm not sure how many in our audience know where even Cape Cod is, but that's beside the point. But back to your point, how much did that influence your high school experience, meaning your academic? How did that influence your college experience? And I didn't hear any word or any utterance of corporate experience. And I don't know if you had any of that before you got to where you are. Couple questions, maybe three questions. Let's ride down your memory lane there if you could. 
Okay. We'd love that. So in high school, you know, I obviously growing up in a family business, you just have confidence to try lots of things. So I tried everything. I'm one of those people in this follow through um, in college, I was involved with everything. So if there's a group, I've joined it. So whether it's student government or in high schools on the speech team or the track team or, you know, so I, I'll just go out and I'll try anything. Sure. I'll try it. People have ideas. I was in college um, and a professor of mine was running this program for college students and he invited me to be a part of it. And he would have these amazing speakers come in and it was a small round table. So you felt really special. And he said to me, um, Hey, listen, what if you, you did this with high school students? I said, okay, I'll do this with high school students. So I started the program with high school students. He then went on to be president of a college and left me. And I was like, okay, I need to find another advisor. I need to figure out, I did it all by myself because someone said, Hey, you know, you should do this. Um, it happened a lot, you know, and I think again, going, Going back to those formative years in a business, I'm just willing to try things. And when people tell me no, that's not, it may be like not now, but it doesn't always mean no for me. I'm going to explore. I'm going to get resourceful. I'm going to ask more questions. So, you know, even in college, there was this program that I found. Um, they used to have an academic convocation at the start of the school year. When I was at my uh, college, they had stopped it. And I said, wouldn't this be great to start back up? I was a senior. So I said, I was told, oh, you know, go to the head of the academic department, see if he'll give you an okay on this. So I went to him and he said, listen, you're a senior, you know, this is a lovely idea, but you're not going to, it's not likely you're going to be able to get people to support this and, and you're leaving. And I said, well, what would it take? for me to get a yes. And he said, here's what you need. You need academic advisor. You need an administrative advisor. You need, I think I needed six people on my board and I needed 50% of the faculty to say, yes, they would show up. So I said, okay. And I did, I got on the phone. I started calling faculty members and uh, I will tell you right now, I'm going to age myself 25 years out. The academic convocation is still the start of the academic school year. So I just, and again, I attribute it to the confidence when people are like, oh, I don't think so. I'm like, oh, well, okay, what would it take? Tell me, because if, if there's a possibility, uh, chances are I'm going to make it happen. So follow that through. My first career out of college was actually in fundraising. Um, and it was because that professor who went to become the president of the college called me when I graduated and said, hey, listen, I want to steal you away. I want you to come up to, I was in New Hampshire. I want you to come up to New Hampshire and um, help me build this. It was a small college now turned university. You know, we're really growing. And so I went up and I did that for four years. And then my jobs kind of, I, I went into technology. It was working with technology to help nonprofits for um, a year probably a year and a half. And then I got married, we moved to Connecticut and I was in nonprofit. So I did nonprofit for a year and then was like, okay, I'm going to start my family. And I was always investing in real estate. I bought my first house when I was 24 years old and uh, it was a two family. So I was immediately a landlord. And so I decided to get my real estate license because I said, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Once I have a child, I knew I didn't want to do 
work full time in an office. I really wanted to be able to set my own hours. So I was a realtor for eight years. And that's where I got introduced to behavior. The franchise that I worked with, Keller Williams, uses assessments to help guide people into the part of the business that best fits their behavioral style. But what happens is they use it and then it gets put in a desk and no one looks at it again. And so I would was on a leadership team and the broker was like, I don't understand. People say they have these goals, but they don't take action. And so I said, well, give me their assessment. I look at their assessment. I said, you teach go for no, their greatest fear is rejection. Even if they do it temporarily, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable way for them to build business. So people started bringing me their assessments and saying, like, hey, listen, can you like look at this and, and help me build my business? And so that's how I got into coaching as people just started coming to me. And you know, you had asked, you know, what were sort of your interests growing up? I was always reading self-development. Always, always. I mean, young as high school, I thought I wanted to be an attorney. So I, you know, I was reading books on law and I was reading um, self-help books. And so it made sense. And people ask me like, why are you a psychologist? And so instead I, I got into coaching. And so that's where I've been for now 10 years. It is so funny about what you're saying here. Cause I pretty much have a finance and accounting background and I love to watch movies in my spare time. Just last night, I was watching Dirty Rotten Scandals with uh, Michael Caine and Steve Martin, but I was focusing more on how they were operating their separate businesses that came together with the woman they got involved. I mean, the whole thing, the, the interpersonal relationships, I observed more than I did before. So I like watching movies time and time again, but focusing a little bit differently. And it goes to your point that the behavior is critically important to, to how you get to where you're going to be and how you build successes. So I got to believe in your business. You do a lot of observing as well. You talk about self-assessment. You got to be aware of who it is you are and what you're good at and where you need help. I think that's kind of the whole thrust of what your business is about. Am I getting that right? Yeah. So a lot of people will talk about, oh, self-awareness. You know, you need to be self-aware. Well, most people are like, great. How do I do that? Right. And so where an assessment can be really helpful, and especially the way that I use an assessment, if you take an online assessment and you read through it, that's great. However, you really need someone to debrief it with you to really ask you questions about what it means, because what it says on the paper has no meaning until you give it meaning. And so that's really the differentiator between how I use assessments and how lots of other people use them is we're not just having you take an assessment and then this is the box you fit into. That hardly ever works. What we want to do is look at here's what the stats say based on how you answer the assessment. Now you give it meaning for me because it's in the meaning that you give it. We can help guide your actions so that you're doing what's natural. And that comes back to what I said in the beginning about working on energy management over time management, because when we're doing what's natural, I'm going to coach you to do more of what's natural because it takes less energy. And when you are doing things that are not as natural, then you know you need to rest, recuperate, rejuvenate so that you can come back as your best self. It's critically important, I've found with the business owners that I deal with is to bring in people who are more comfortable doing things you're not comfortable with. And that one plus one can sometimes equal three, because I think you would agree that those who are in comfortable positions tend to procrastinate in those areas. And then those that are more comfortable in other areas is that that's where they excel. But you got to get a team and interpersonal relationships are critical in everything. Is, Is that kind of what you're saying there? 
Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about a team, often we hire people based on who we are instead of what we need. And so the great thing about an assessment is that I can put your whole team on a graph and show you that actually, if you're someone who's out in sales and getting it done and, you know, go for no, you're not going to be a real great behavioral match with the person who's in accounting, who's into the details, but a company needs both. And so what we do is look at how can you communicate better? So it's no longer personal because what tends to happen is people with different strong, different behavioral styles um, can actually conflict. If we learn to work with each other as a beautiful checks and balances, we take away the conflict. Yeah. What are some of the other common, and I don't want to call the mistakes because I never use the word mistakes because uh, now everything that I do is a learning experience. And if it costs me a little bit of money, I, I say I didn't lose money. It was my tuition for further learning. <laughs> you deal with a lot of clients. I'm going to ask you about your ideal client, but are there some common situations that come up that you observe that need guidance on? Is there something that is a typical maybe oversight by some of the business owners and business group? Is it too general or is it all, you know, one-offs and everyone that you reach out to? You definitely see patterns. I think right now, the biggest pattern I see is mistakes in hiring. I mean, when we look at statistics, Gallup poll puts out an annual statistic, you know, it ranges from 67 to 70% of people are disengaged or actively disengaged in the workplace. If you think about that number, it's astonishing. So obviously through my behavioral filter, I believe it's because people aren't in the right match because we hire based on skill and we fire based on attitude. Just because someone's skilled at something doesn't mean that it's the right fit for your company, for your culture, or even for that position. And so what I'm seeing a lot of is people are looking to, people are either so eager to get hired, they're willing to take anything. Even on the other side, employers see hiring as such a hassle. It takes so long. It's a process that they'll take the best of the worst candidates because, oh, this is what we have. And I'm telling companies that's not good enough for you. That shouldn't be good enough for your company. It shouldn't be good enough for your culture. And even right now, about 30% of people are leaving within the first three months of work. I mean, that's, that's astonishing. The cost of that alone should be setting off alarm bells for companies. And it's not. We're still hiring the same way we always have. And for me, my heart, I'm like, oh, why, why? There's a better way. And understanding behavior and doing these type of debriefs and looking at behavior among the team and how it's going to work with a potential new employee, that's all key to the hiring process and is often overlooked, not an investment companies want to make and yet it's costing them more money on the other end. That's interesting, Laura. I heard a lot about cultural, interpersonal. I haven't heard one thing about finance and accounting, and that's okay because you and I talked earlier that sometimes emotion and interpersonal, it's very tough to quantify, but it's It's a strong part of every business, particularly smaller businesses. So tell me a little bit about your ideal client. What is your ideal client? Is it you know ex-revenues, ex-employees? What would you say your any industry that stands out for you and how best you succeed? Well, so let me talk about the ideal client in a minute. I want to get back to the point that you had mentioned about looking at the hiring process and, mm-hmm. and where does the money come in? You will make more money. I mean, 
it is, I have 100% confidence because I've seen it so many times. You will make more money faster when you hire the right people up front. And so, although it seems like we don't, you know, I'm not talking about money, I will tell you, I base my success and with a guarantee, I put my money where my mouth is, that my clients make more money or they don't pay me because my business is built word of mouth. And so, if you aren't making more money and your life isn't more fulfilling, I don't need your money. That's not how I make my money. I want you to leave and tell people she changed our business. She changed my world, whatever it is. And so that money part is essential to the work that I do. So I wanted to make sure I touched on that. And our audience should better listen very well because those are, those are powerful statements. So go on. And so when we start to look at ideal clients, so what tends to happen for my work is I start with an individual and then I start working with their team. So when I look at the individual that is my ideal client, it's that director or manager who wants to get to the next level, who, is, who wants to get to the C level and they're stuck. They have limiting beliefs about their abilities to get to that level or limiting beliefs about changing industry. That's the area where I can really help people. Then once I'm working with them at the C-level, then we start to work with teams. And that's where the work gets just so fascinating. A lot of times when you're working with a team of really great, talented individuals, they work as individuals and they come from their different silos of business. My work, I come in with those C-level people and we start to have teams communicating better and on a higher level with each other because we're taking down some of the barriers by using assessments and behavioral understanding and saying, hey, listen, what does it take to communicate with each other? What does it take to be a team, whether it's just for this project or you know, on a larger scale? What do we have to do to work better together? So that's, that's my ideal client and who I tend to work with. Yeah. So you start small and then from that small, you build. You can't conquer everything at once. You got to be right. able to get your successes behind you and then move forward from there. You and know, the key or- for me, if I could just add one thing, because the key too is a manager, a C-level who's willing to be coached. A lot of times people will come in and want to hire me to coach their team. It's always a disaster. It's always a disaster because if you are not willing to be coached, it is really hard for your team to look at you as the leader when you're expecting them to be coached. So that's why I choose to start with the individual because it sends a message to the team that this is where we want to go with the the team, the company, the business. That's critically important. And and I, I totally agree with your mindset, your philosophy. Uh, Laura, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. So is there anything in our Q&A that we had over the past 15 or 20 minutes that we didn't cover? Any message that you want the audience to know about that we didn't have an opportunity to talk about? Well, the one thing that I'd like to share is um, this idea of purposeful living. And so at the start, I talked about the importance of, you know, really knowing what you want for your experience. And I have created sort of this equation for your ideal life experience, which is, you know, experience, communication, consistency, and you come out the end with this idea of purposeful living. Um, And so a lot of times we know what we don't want. And so we are basing our experience on what we don't want instead of articulating what we do want. And so looking at what is the ideal experience you want and defining that. And then the next step is communicating that because often we'll have expectations about an experience we want, but we don't share it with anyone. And then we're disappointed when it doesn't happen. So communicating the experience 
commitment you want to the people in your life, the people that you work with is critically important. And then consistency. How do we incorporate this ideal experience into our life consistently? consistently. A lot of high achievers I know are really good at achieving the big things with a sacrifice of the day-to-day. And what I want to show people by how I live my life and how I coach people is that you can have it all, not all at once, but you can have it all when you're crystal clear. And so how can you create those life experiences on a day-to-day basis so that you feel like you've lived a purposeful life your entire lifetime instead of of, oh, I've worked really hard and then I get to retire and have my ideal life. Or, oh, you know, I'm such a hard worker that I I have to wait. Everything is, I'll wait until it's this ideal time. It's never going to be an ideal time. So purposeful living starts right now. Absolutely. Taking action now and then uh, moving forward from there is critically important. Well, we have one final question for you, Laura. How do we find out more about you, your business, anything else we need to know about Laura? Well, so to find out more about this idea of purposeful living, I have actually created um, my own individual page. So if you go to purposeful-life.co, you can get more information on that. And there's a little survey that you can take to see if you are currently living a purposeful life. So that's one place. The other place you mentioned is my website. I have a ton of free content on my website, and that's um, LMT worthtalkingabout.com. And there's um, free worksheets and tons of, I have over a hundred videos on YouTube. Um, I have podcasts, there's tons of stuff out there so that you can start to get an idea of the way of ways to build your purposeful life. That sounds so good. Laura, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate your insight and audience. Thank you for joining us on another edition of Building Better Businesses. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Steve. You bet. The Building Better Business Podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.